All right. Uh, somebody uh, stole the Bible from my office. What? So, stole my Bible, which I assume means that they're hungry for the Word of God. Uh, but I got this today. So now that one's pink. Uh, a lot of life. Uh, nice to see you all. Uh, nice to see some uh, some uh, founding Blue Waters back from the mainland uh, this week. So that's cool. Uh, so uh, love on every person that you see. Uh, it's a good time to mention that uh, during the week uh, there are whole bunches of uh, Ohana groups, small groups uh, that people host in their homes. Uh, you can't get to know you know 200 people. Uh, this Sunday, but you can go to one of these Ohana groups if you're not part of one and meet uh, 10, 20 people and actually get to know each other. Sony and I will be starting an Ohana group in Kaneohe, where we have recently moved. Does that start, does that start Wednesday? Wednesday? It starts this Wednesday at our house. Seven to nine. Seven to nine, she says. Um, so if you live windward, uh, come see us. Uh, there will be information on the website, bluewatermission.org. We have dogs and cats. So if you have allergies, take a pill. Warm-up question, although you guys are pretty warm today. Roll your shoulders, crack your neck. Poke the person next to you in the ribs. Uh, here's your warm-up question uh, as we get started uh, in our uh, discussion this morning. Who do you think of? Who do you think of when you think of great faith? And I don't want you to pick a Bible character. And I don't want you to pick the senior pastor. Uh, who in your life do you think of when you think of great faith? Vern. Vern, Vern doesn't count because she's... Vern, Vern, Vern that's, too, that's, too, that's too easy. That's too easy. Sora. Sora, because tremendous mom. You were just talking about that this week. Everybody admires the way uh, Daniel and Sora do their family. Yeah, all right. You don't necessarily have to shout it out, but, but you do, I do want you to reflect on it for eight seconds of brilliance. Like, who do you think of from your life when you think of great faith? Who's that person? Just, just think about it just a second. <clears throat> I have this cool City Mill coffee table. Not a reflection of the Blue Water budget. <laughs> Our worship leader plays the bucket on Sunday morning. All right, everybody sort of got somebody? Now, if we were organized, this would be the time where I ask you to give your answers, but you all preceded me on that. The person I think of <clears throat> is my great-great-aunt Nellie, when I think of great faith. There's like one person in the room, uh, my wife, who met Aunt Nellie. Aunt Nellie, uh, she's gone now. She stood four foot ten. Um, at one time, she weighed well over 200 pounds. And then she lost like over 100 pounds. Uh, and uh, the reason she did that is because she had an artificial heart valve. She had one of the very first artificial heart valves. And at the time of her death, held the world record uh, for longevity with an artificial heart valve. 
She had old-fashioned kind, so if you put your ear to Aunt Nellie's chest, you could hear the marble popping up and down in her heart valve. It was that heart valve. Uh, she was awesome. The secret to our longevity, she said, is that every afternoon she had a happy hour, happy time, she called it, where she would drink a huge amount of wine and, uh, and get a little bit happy. Um, she carried a gallon jug wherever she went, the cheapest wine she could find. And uh, her doctor would say, well, don't stop. It's working. You know, it's just natural blood thinner, natural blood thinner. That was Aunt Nellie. Uh, Aunt Nellie had a tough life, came from a farming family in Central California, and she married when she was a teenager, this guy named Dave, Uncle Dave, uh, who uh, didn't treat her great. He was sort of a fun-loving guy, lifelong alcoholic, sort of ran a, a dairy ranch that I sort of grew up around uh, when I was coming up. Uh, he would uh, get up in the morning, uh, she would fix him breakfast, and then he would go out and like milk one cow and then spend the rest of the day just kind of drinking and visiting with friends. Everybody loved Uncle Dave. Like, he was really nice. He was just this nice guy, everyone. Sort of had a lot of expectations on Nellie. It was not fun to kind of watch that marriage unfold. Uh, but Aunt Nellie never once complained or was anything but gracious or happy uh, toward Uncle Dave. Yeah, <laughs> famous story. Aunt Nellie was Uncle Dave's remote control. And so, like, wherever she was in the house, he'd be sitting in his chair drinking uh, his drink and say, Nellie, change the channel! And she was like, yes, dear, always happy, like, tremendously happy to do it. Just loved him so much. And even, like, I was eight, nine, ten years old watching this, and I say, he, she really loves him. Like, that's amazing. I want to slap him. You know? She loves him just adores him and sort of the greatness of her love for her husband made everyone else love him. You know? Like attitude is the most contagious thing about you and her, it, something about her love was just contagious. You know, like this dysfunctional house but everybody wanted to be in it. Right? And she would fix you some meal. Usually it was super, super poor. So she would fix us beans and cornbread. You know? And uh, they, use, they use powdered government ration milk, right, at a dairy farm. Because <laughs> they couldn't afford real milk, you know. But you wanted to be in the house. It's just extraordinary. Uh, eventually, Uncle Dave got senile for a long time. He died, it's sort of probably subsequent to his drinking, his senility. And uh, she moved into a trailer home, uh, which is where, you know, she spent the rest of her life. Everybody in the trailer home knew her in the trailer park. She would get up in the morning and walk two miles and greet all of the neighbors. Uh, she was a Lutheran. Uh, she was like the early Christian in our family. She would go to this tiny little Lutheran country church, and she was the Sunshine Committee. That's what, that's, that's what her post was. The Sunshine Committee was like one person. And she would write the cards for your birthday or the cards if somebody passed away. She would go visit people who didn't go to church, right? She had nothing and she would do that. And you get the idea about Aunt Nellie, right? And, and of course, a person like that sticks with you. You know, you go up around a person like that. Uh, she's the person I think of when I think of great faith, which is to say, when I think of great faith, I think of great love. When I think of great faith, I think of great love. It's just, I couldn't do what she did.
couldn't do uh, what she did. And certainly, in my life, the people who have made the most difference are the people who have loved me greatly. Right? I, I have uh, lived a ministry life for a long time. I've been around a lot of literal miracle workers, right? Seen way more than my fair share of miracles. Uh, we call these people sometimes, you know, faith healers and stuff like that. I've got to participate in a large number of, like, literal miracles, you know? And, and when you think of great faith, you might think of miracles that you have seen or miracle workers, right? That's very tempting because those are deeds of faith. But when I think of a person of faith, I think of the Antonellis. Uh, and, uh, you know, the McCowns, the, the family. They were my babysitters when I were, was a kid. They're the people that are responsible for leading me to Jesus. I was, you know, small, displaced child, literally a fugitive from the law, you know, my family background. And these Nazarene Christians took me into their home. This loved me. There's nothing at all remarkable about them except they loved me and changed my life. So I don't really think of miracle workers when I think of people of faith. I, I think of lovers. Uh, I certainly don't think of people of exacting righteousness, you know, people that uh, taught me the proper way to live. Like, awesome, but not really uh, inspiring of faith. Helpful, right, but not the people I think of in terms of great faith. All right, that was warm-up question number one. And because you guys are just... So lethargic and uncooperative. We're going to do uh, warm-up question number two today. Are you ready? Warm-up question number two. What prevents you from loving like a champion? Some of you do, uh, but maybe not perfectly. What prevents you from loving stupendously well? Eight seconds of brilliance. Go. I don't want you to shout out your answer right now. You can shout at me at home. All right, I'm not going to ask you to respond. I just want you to think of that. You know, what, what stops you from being Aunt Nellie? Um, I want to uh, read a little bit from Paul's letter to the Galatians uh, today, uh, from chapter 5, a little bit of chapter 6. Uh, that will be our scripture for today. It will be up on the big board. And if you're the one who stole my Bible, you can read it from there. <laughs> so uh, Paul was writing to this church in Galatia. as a church that he helped start. Uh, Galatia was in uh, what we think of as Turkey today. My Bible. Um, so... Uh, the deal was, they, they were not, there were some Jews in Galatia, but the church was not uh, largely uh, Jewish. Paul uh, converted them to, uh, to the faith, to be Jesus followers, and they were doing great. And then some uh, Jewish believers came later and tried to convince the Galatians that for them to be Christians, they had to obey the Jewish laws and customs, right? So... These people followed Paul and said, oh, you're not really Christians because you're not keeping the rules well enough. You're not religious enough. And, uh, and the, uh, the big issue was circumcision. That they, These Judaizers tried to convince the Galatian Christians, like, well, to be acceptable to God, you need to circumcise yourselves because, you know, 
Abraham circumcised his family, and the people of God have always done that. So unless you get the procedure, you're not in, right? And sort of scared the Galatian church that God would not accept them unless they dotted their I's and crossed their T's. Uh, and so some of these Galatians were circumcising themselves, even though they weren't even Jewish, in order to be acceptable to the Lord. Well, Paul gets wind of this, and he's like, well, that has nothing to do uh, with Jesus following. That's, just, that's kind of, uh, you know, sometimes rules can be helpful, they can be symbolic, they can be meaningful, but, but you have misunderstood uh, the purpose of the law and certainly the purpose of customs uh, such like that. Uh, and so he, basically the whole letter is, is about this theme. Um, it was sort of, it's a fight against cancel culture, if you want to have a very modern way of looking at it, you know, virtue signaling and stuff like that. It's like Paul is saying all that stuff is empty, right? That's not what really, really counts. Uh, so he's writing them about, about true freedom uh, in, in the Lord and the true responsibilities of faith. It's sort of a, a letter on faith in a sense. He's explaining to them that faith gives them freedom from a lot of things, freedom from their misdeeds, freedom from the law, actually, classic Paul, and that faith gives you freedom for certain things, right? You can now do things that you didn't used to be able to do, freedom from and freedom for, he's talking about. In Galatians 5, uh, verse 6, he says, for in Christ... Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. When any of the Bible authors say something so concise and pointed, it always, it always reaches up and slaps me, right? It causes me to pay attention. The only thing that counts. Okay, now that's a heck of a phrase right there. A heck of a phrase. He's been writing for better than four chapters about what the true faith life is, and, and he makes this incredible summary statement. So, the only thing that counts in life, dot, 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 <laughs> cue theme music, is faith expressing itself through love. That's, that's a, heck of a heck of a statement, you know, um, powerfully concise. He's saying, you know, it's not, it's, not your, uh, it's not your identity that counts. It's not the tattoos you have on your body or, you know, the things that you cut off your body or don't cut off your body, right? It's, it's, not, it's not any sort of signal. Uh, if you have faith, faith always does something might do it well, it might do it poorly, but it always does something. Faith is trying, yeah. And, and, the, and the essential thing that faith tries is, is love. You know. Uh, and then uh, the letter goes on. Um, and so I want to read, uh, I'll skip down to like 513 and read a little bit into chapter 6. And I'll read it as it was read to the Galatians back in the day. The section of the Bible that we call the epistles, epistle just means letter, and uh, there's a whole bunch of these letters compended into the Bible, and what they were was circular letters. So they would send, the apostles would send these letters to churches in various cities, and, and they would circulate around the city uh, into their small groups, into their ohana groups, 
and, uh, and the letters would be read out loud, and then the people would discuss them. So that was sort of like the basic cell of church life, just as it is at, at Blue Water. So what I want to do is just read this to you, and I want you to just absorb it and notice what jumps out at you, okay? So this is exactly how it would have worked in the first century A.D., uh, when this stuff was going down. So I want to pick it up uh, at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Right away, he's expanding on his thesis statement, which is the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, right? So he's sort of taking it from there. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. No biting in church, people. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are, <clears throat> are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the truth of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and annoying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. You also may be tempted carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with the instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, what jumped out at you? Let's just, let's just go all first century. What jumped out at you? What phrases, what ideas? One, two, three, go. If you live by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 
right? Provocative statement. If you're following the Spirit, like, if you're, if you're following a person, if you're following me to get to my house, you don't need directions. You just need to follow me. Right? Keep trying. Yeah, he says that in like three or four different ways, doesn't he? You know, don't, do weary, don't become weary in, in doing good. Uh, is a uh, famous one, uh, 6 9, chapter 6, verse 9. That's a memory verse a lot of us have. In the proper time, you'll receive a harvest. Yeah, what else? Yeah, is that back-to-back? That's a Bible study in and of itself. Is carry one another's burdens. And then he says, basically, don't judge anyone. Carry your own load. You know, like, carry each other's burdens, but be an individual, not, not a comparer uh, of people. And if you think about it, that makes sense. At first blush, it sounds contradictory. Uh, carry your own load kind of means to me. You don't know what anyone else is going through exactly and what it takes from them to go through it, and they don't know what you're going through and what it takes to go through it. Everybody lives their own life. But for heaven's sake, be as helpful to one another as you can. <laughs> you know, that's my cheap paraphrase. Yeah, what else? It's possible in your mind to follow the Spirit, but not keep in step with Him practically in life. So, yeah. That's interesting. So you took it, you interpreted it at another level, but I know what you mean. It's like, what counts is what gets expressed in your life. Yeah. And He says that in three or four different ways. Yeah. Which is sobering and freeing at the same time. Anybody else got one more? We're at, we're at war all the time. Yeah, we're at war all the time. With each other? No. With yourself. Right? Spirit versus flesh in your own life is, is, the, is the conflict that counts. Right? And if you win, the spirit wins. If you lose... You get involved in all sorts of nasty things. Yeah, great stuff. Well, that's kind of how to digest an epistle. You know, you read something like that and different things jumps out, jump out and, and get you. You discuss it with your ohana. Um, all that stuff that Paul says, and there's so many provocative statements in that passage, I understand under the statement, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you want to summarize the commands of God, love your neighbor as yourself, he says. I love the summary statements because I'm too lazy to remember all of it. And that stuff you could put in a fortune cookie and be well served. Uh, the only thing that counts is whether your faith expresses itself practically in love. And if you're obeying God's commandments, you're loving your neighbor really strongly. And if you're not loving your neighbor really strongly, dot, dot, dot. Well, you're not following the Spirit, at least. You know. We've done uh, 10 weeks of sermons on faith. Uh, this will be the last one uh, in the sermon series, actually. Um, we'll start a new series next week. And we just learned 
all sorts of things about faith, had all sorts of uh, reflections and discussions about faith. We started with this idea that faith is a fight. We looked at the story of Jacob, who literally at one point in his story wrestles with God himself in order to get a blessing, you know? And then God affirms that in him. You know, figure out, figure out what you need to do to be blessed. That's fine, actually. The Bible invites you to do that. Wrestle with God to get blessed? It's just so weird. It's such a weird story. You know, all these stories that we've looked at are kind of weird. Um, but God evidently is fine if you want to wrestle with him for good things. Just don't wrestle with him to hurt him. Don't better you wrestle with God and get injured in your hip than you let your own flesh destroy you and bitterness and resentment, you know? You're going to struggle in life. Just make sure you struggle with God uh, as opposed to getting yourself into false and fruitless struggles. All to say, the fight for faith is the fight. And sometimes God goes out of his way to make sure you fight that fight. <laughs> you know? Uh, faith sways God. We, we studied the story of the Canaanite woman who approached Jesus for a blessing for her daughter. And, um, and Jesus says no. And then she says, ah, but, you know, even the doggies get crumbs from the children's table. In other words, God says no, and she responds with yet more faith. At which point the Lord says, okay, yes. <laughs> you know, it's just a very pointed illustration that what God is looking for from us is faith. You know, that's the point. Uh, that's the point. Um, and I am encouraged to know that uh, even God does a little give and take. You know, it makes me feel like I can stick with him. Uh, we talked about how to avoid sinking, like Peter walking on the water. He did great. He was moving in faith until he decided to get afraid of something. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then he sank. And Jesus, good news, saved him. But what makes you afraid? What makes you sink in life? It's important for you to identify those things and get your focus on other things instead. Faith is an atmosphere. We talked about like the story of Jesus... Uh, the disciples failing to heal the little boy in Mark chapter 9, and then Jesus coming along, taking the boy out of the crowd, and then healing him. Faith is atmospheric, right? God honors faith in everyone, and lack of faith in everyone. And so the amount of faith to do a miracle in this room today is all of our faiths added together. And so we come bearing a responsibility to have our faith on and to help one another in faith. That's how we help each other bear burdens and overcome, you know? So don't show up passively. Show up with faith. Uh, we talked about how what makes, what makes prayer powerful? Well, faith makes prayer powerful. So that's what you need to know. Uh, according to Scripture, the prayer offered in faith makes the sick person well, and they'll be forgiven of their sins. I mean, faith is awesome. Don't pray in complaint. Don't pray hollowly with a lot of repetition. Don't pray in anxiety. Pray in faith. And that does wonders, the Bible tells us. Eliminate the idea of impossibility from your brain because with faith, nothing is impossible. The uh, Bible says that in numerous places. Uh, just as faith is powerful, lack of faith is powerful. There's a tremendous amount of power in disbelief. So do not 
wield it. Be very, very careful about what you disbelieve in. You know, and sometimes we use disbelief as a comfort or a power. Uh, and we have to avoid that if we want to live the kingdom life. Uh, if I were to describe the spirit of faith, you know, sort of the personality of it, I would say faith is confidence. And we talked about how confidence literally means confides, with faith. You know, and, and that helps me. Faith is uncertainty. It's confidence. It's a slightly different thing. We talked about the unappreciated power of the word probably. Are we going to get a miracle here this morning? Probably. Right? And, and that communicates a spirit of faith. Right? Not an arrogant certainty, but a great confidence. And I encourage you all, I encourage myself to be confident people. And that helps you navigate the world really wisely. And where are you not confident? Fix that. Or ask for help uh, to fix it. Uh, we talked about uh, how our faith ultimately needs to be anchored in the eternal reward. Right? Uh, because even the great heroes of faith, we are told in the book of Hebrews, didn't necessarily receive all that was promised to them. Uh, they had great fruitfulness on earth, but not yet the real fruitfulness in heaven, and the same will be true for us. And today we're talking about being a person of great faith, which means being a person of consistent love, loving your neighbors, you know, living according to the Spirit, um, and uh, not being selfish, but being giving, being helpful, to everyone, Paul says, especially to other believers, I think because they're so accessible. You know, if you're mean to the person sitting next to you, for instance, if you punch them hard in the shoulder, shame on you. That would be terrible. Don't do that. But since we're all here together, try to love people near you before you take off. And that would be an example of a great life of faith. What does faith produce in you is the question of the day. What does it produce in you? And it should produce all of these things. It should produce confidence. It should produce miracles, you know, at least sometimes. It should eliminate impossibilities from your thinking. But more than anything else, of course, it should produce love. It should produce love. Uh, I asked the warm-up question, what prevents you from loving like a champion? What were some of the things you thought of? Go ahead. Now's the time to share. Selfishness. Yeah. Fear and self and self self protection. Fear and self protection. Not perceiving how loved you are by the Father, so you're rationing, <laughs> right? Self righteousness. But you guys suck. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're all we we all have that stuff, right? All these things that we could mention. Now think about how faith would help you with those things. How faith eliminates fear. How faith eliminates selfishness. How faith eliminates a spirit of poverty, feeling like you don't have enough to share with someone else. And, right? I mean, faith, in one way, shape, or form, in all the ways that we have talked about in this sermon series, helps you overcome all those things that choke out your love for others. Right? Makes sense, doesn't it? If you're a person of faith, those things don't matter uh, so much, you know? Um, I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Does your faith get you to love others a lot? Are you a great lover of your neighbor? Right? Because if you have a love problem, then you probably have a faith problem. And that's a great diagnostic for your life. That's a great diagnostic. And it suggests some helpful models. If you become a great 
lover of your neighborhood, um, then you will improve in faith. You know, it gives, it gives you something to shoot at, as Paul says uh, to the Galatians. Faith expressing itself through love. Don't overthink it. Make it practical. Go love your neighbor. Uh, there's sort of a good news in all of this. You don't actually have to raise someone from the dead to be a champion of faith. Although, on my bucket list. On my bucket list. Um, uh, if you did raise somebody from the dead, it would only count if you did it out of love. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it suck to raise someone from the dead and then get disqualified? It was like, oh, that didn't really count, you know? You were just into the thrill of it. It's like, but, but, no, no. Erase. That would suck. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. But uh, if you don't think you can pull off raising the dead, maybe you do, maybe you don't, do you think that you can love your neighbor, your coworkers, uh, your classmates, the people in your church? Do you think that you can love somebody today? Try. Yeah, and that's the definition of faith right there. I think a faith community is like a hive of bees. You know, the bees leave and they just go gather and pollinate everywhere, you know. And uh, I feel like we leave the hive, we go out into the world, and we just love everyone and every place. And we create fruitfulness. You know, we spread the, the fruitful pollen of the kingdom that way. We should buzz with love. Everybody say it, and it's important to say it that way. All right? One, two, three. Buzz with love. Again, creepier than I anticipated. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. But you get the idea. So the application point for the day would be, uh, it's just an awareness exercise. Uh, list in your head right now the neighbors that you have that you loved really well this past week, that you loved at all this past week. How many of your neighbors did you love this week? Uh, just make a, a mental list. I won't ask you to shout it out or anything. Just make a list. Neighbors you loved in the last week of March. Long list, short list. Medium. Yeah, that's a good cop-out answer. Uh, it's just an awareness exercise. Because I think a lot about how to create faith and sustain faith. I think less creatively about loving my neighbors, actually. Um, and so there's a challenge for me, and I suggest that it might be a challenge for you as well, because evidently, it's the only thing that counts. Dang it. The only thing that counts. Uh, in terms of our faith life is whether we are loving our neighbors we're expressing our faith uh, with, with love. If you have great faith, and I know a lot of you do, right? Some of my most inspirational people are in this room. I know that you have great faith. Uh, and just release it in the great love and the people around you. Let your faith make it happen. Let your faith make it happen. Amen? Father God, we pray that you would make us a community of faith.
that is released through love fruitfully, consistently, and overwhelmingly. In Jesus' name, everybody says...